simply godly men who are used by God in incredible ways. The individuals we'll be looking at are Moses, Elijah and Jonah. Jonah was a minor prophet and could be called uh, to be a fairly minor character in the Bible. That is not the case with the other two. Moses representing the law of God and Elijah representing the prophets of God. Both stood with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They are without question two of the greatest figures in the Bible and also in the whole of history. So it should be a real shock to us when we hear these three godly figures speaking about how life had become too much for them. We should be amazed when we hear in these passages that we'll be looking at that they wanted to end their lives. Today we'll be looking at Moses and in these verses in Numbers 11, specifically verse 15, where we hear Moses saying, put me to death right now. And if you're feeling under pressure, strained, pushed to the limit, that you feel you can't go on, then you need to hear God's word from Numbers 11 this evening. Britain's Royal College of Psychiatrists has reported that more working days are lost to depressive illness each year than to uh, conditions such as heart disease, high blood pressure and diabetes. And stress is now the number one cause for long-term absence from work. Many of you will be facing increased tensions at work with job insecurity, evaluations coming up and financial pressures. Many will face pressures at home, caring for young children, supporting the unwell and the elderly, keeping on top of the housework, trying to ensure there's a happy atmosphere at home. That's a lot. Many will be facing up to exams for the first time and feeling the pressure that comes with revision. Some of you will be working towards your A-levels, and the stress that comes with that can be really crippling. Some of you will be searching for jobs, and the pressure of having to fill in application after application and going to interview after interview can be really, really taxing. In fact, I imagine if I spoke to each and every one of you, you will all have undergone a period of pretty intense stress in your life. Some of you will be going through one right now. And maybe during those times, you feel like a a lesser Christian. You feel distant from God, out of touch with his people who seem to be doing so well in comparison to ye. And you feel out of touch with God's will for your life. Maybe you've come to the point of despair where you feel like you can't carry on. Something has to give. And you wonder if that something is going to be you. Well, if that's you, then let me really encourage you to really listen tonight. Because Moses was in a very similar situation here in this passage. But before we look at these verses in more detail, it's worth really establishing exactly who Moses was, his calibre and his qualities. Well, we know from elsewhere in the Bible that Moses was a leader, a judge, a soldier, the giver of God's law. Moses was, in short, an extraordinary man. 
But two great marks that set Moses apart from other godly men can be found uh, just over the page in chapter 12, following today's passage. In verse 3 we read, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Moses was a meek or humble man. Not humble in that he was a, a doormat that you could wipe your feet on and uh, that you could just push him around and take advantage of him. No, more humble than all others in that he recognised that he was completely dependent upon God. It's a, it's a pretty amazing statement there, isn't it? This was the guy who is more dependent than God than anyone else. And humility, not often a characteristic that we see from the strong characters of the Bible. And it's not often an attribute accredited to the world leaders and trendsetters of today. They'd be hard-pressed to find humility amongst footballers, amongst singers, and amongst politicians today. They'll definitely be hard-pressed to find a trace of humility in the boardroom of The Apprentice. Let alone this kind of dependence on God. But true humility was the mark of this great leader. And the second mark that differentiated Moses from other of God's followers was uh, the way that God spoke to him. Specifically, all the other prophets uh, communicated to God in visions and in dreams, but not the case with Moses. And again, we see this in chapter 12 and in verse 6 to 8, where we read, The Lord uh, said, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. To all the others he gave dreams and visions, but for Moses this was not the case. God spoke to him face to face. The uh, ESV translation translates this as God spoke mouth to mouth with Moses, clearly, plainly, and incredibly closely. So Moses was an amazingly humble man, but he was also closer to God in a way that no one else of his time was. This was a truly godly man. And yet, yet he cries out to God, asking him to end his life. He wants God to kill him. Why? What could possibly bring such a godly man to such a desperate frame of mind. Well, in those verses leading up to that shocking statement from Moses, we see that it is the grumbling, complaining, and the discontentment of God's people that drives Moses to such despair. The, uh, the Hebrews wept and complained, Moses grieved, and God was angry, all because of the people's grumbling. But what is it that has caused such a serious complaint amongst the people? What could be the roots of this massive community coming together and crying out, complaining to Moses? Well, almost unbelievably, it's food. 
I don't know uh, about you, but when you get back from work or school or college, and uh, perhaps, perhaps sometimes you can be uh, a bit grumpy because you're a bit hungry. Maybe you're a little bit short with your friends and uh, your family. You may even grumble and complain about completely unrelated things because you're feeling a tad peckish. But I'm sure no one here is guilty of doing that at all. Some of you may be familiar with the term hangry. So hungry that you become angry. Hangry. I'm not making it up, it's it's a phrase. Well, being hangry is one thing, but coming together as a massive people group and wailing and complaining is another thing entirely. What's going on here? What were God's people so upset about? Were God's people in the wilderness with nothing to eat? Were they starving in the desert? Well, no, not at all. God, in his goodness, had provided the people with manna. And we know from verse 7 to 9 of chapter 3, uh, chapter 11 even, that manna was a, a bread-like, cake-like food that could be prepared in a, in a number of different ways and that supplied the people with everything that they needed. And yet the people weren't satisfied. And so they complained. In verse 4 to 6 we read, The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Well, on a side note there, now you know cucumbers are are mentioned in the Bible, something I hadn't really realised before this passage. Pretty crazy. The people are tired of God's provision to them. They're tired of the manna. And even from the name that the people gave to this food, we see less of a grateful acceptance and more of a uh, reluctant refusal. Manna, directly translated, means, what is it? And this might sound uh, familiar to some. You've just prepared a a full-on, proper meal. You've been slaving away in the kitchen for hours. You've pulled out all the stops. The herb and spice rack has seen more action than it's seen in years. And you place this wonderful dish in front of your child, only to hear the response, what is it? And before long, you'll probably hear them asking if they can have chicken nuggets instead. Well, that's not dissimilar to what's going on here. God has incredibly provided for his people in this way. But now the Israelites crave other food. They want want the things they once had in Egypt. So the first thing that we can note about this complaining group of people is that they were ungrateful. Ungrateful towards God's good provision for them. And the second thing that we learn about this grumbling people group is that they're incredibly forgetful. In the parallel uh, account to this, in Exodus 16 and verse 2 to 3, we read, uh, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve. Uh, sorry, you have brought us to this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. 
How dare they say that? Are they so short-sighted that they have forgotten where they've come from? They're so consumed by their desire for a bit of meat that they've forgotten God's incredible goodness to them. This is the Egypt where they were slaves, where they were forced into cruel manual labour, where they were forced into serving Pharaoh, the very same Pharaoh who wiped out a whole generation of Hebrew newborn babies. But at least they had cucumbers and leeks, right? It's staggering how forgetful they are. But before we shake our judgmental heads at God's wandering people, we need to recognise just how often we do this in our own lives. How we forget God's incredible goodness to us. How we crave for the things that we had in our old lives before we became Christians, before we were saved. I'm a Christian, but I wish I could have a lion on Sundays. I'm a Christian, but I much preferred it when I could go out on the weekend and get a little bit drunk, when I could sleep around, when I could watch whatever I wanted to watch. I wish I was back in Egypt. I wish I'd never been saved. That's what we're saying when we complain about not having the things that we once had in our old lives. And the discontented Christian is the one who has forgotten the slavery of sin that they were in bondage to. They've forgotten what it demanded of them, the damage it did to their lives, and ultimately how under sin they were destined for death. The discontented Christian has forgotten what they were truly saved from, and they've forgotten how they were saved, just what it cost God to liberate them from their enslavement to sin. The complaining Christian feels that they've sacrificed so much and in many ways have left behind a a better, fuller, funner life. And as a result, they feel entitled to some kind of recompense for their sacrifice. They want all the benefits of being in a church that they think they deserve. And it's this that causes discontentment in the church and complaining and grumbling. We see this issue today, and we saw it back in the wilderness with God's people complaining because they are ungrateful and because they are forgetful. They wish they were back in Egypt, and they complain to Moses, their leader, who should provide for them the food that they wanted and not what God had provided for them. And of course, this takes its toll on Moses. And in verse 12, we see how Moses is feeling. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you, carry, why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? He's tired of having to care for the people of Israel as children, as infants crying and wailing to him for their every need. And it's here we see just how childish God's people are being. Caring for your own young children is really hard, so I'm told, especially by my mum, it seems. (laughs) But here, Moses is the only responsible adult in the creche. And all the babies are crying 
and wailing. It's an absolute nightmare. Due to the people's ungratefulness, forgetfulness, and childishness, Moses is plagued with serious self-doubt. And ultimately, it's all too much for him. He asks God to put him to death right then and there. He's a suicidal saint. And it's worth noting at this point where Moses' focus is on throughout this passage. In verse 13 and 14, he gives God a a torrent of fretful questions. And in those questions, we see that Moses is very much focused on himself. What have I done to displease you? It's somehow his fault. Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms? It's his responsibility. Where can I get meat for all these people? He has to be the one to find the solution. Moses is focused in on himself. I, I, me, me. In the original Hebrew, Moses refers to himself no fewer than 20 times. He has responded to the grumbling of the people by taking his eyes off of God and instead placing them on himself. And as soon as he does that, then of course the task is far too big and the burden is way too heavy. And it becomes too much for Moses to bear. And it's at this point that you might expect God to rebuke him. But he doesn't. Instead, he provides for him in his time of need. And we see this provision in verse 16 and 17. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me seventy of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take uh, of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Well, here we see God's provision for Moses, showing that by his spirit, these 70 elders were raised up to help Moses in leading the people. But this isn't a happy story. This is an account of discontent, uh, complaining people. This is an account of a great godly man turning to himself for a solution rather than to God and failing Uh, And falling, failing and falling into despair as a result of that. And it ends in judgment. Judgment that we don't have time to look at today. But in the following chapters uh, to this passage, we see that God judges his people. He judges Israel for their ungratefulness and their forgetfulness. Yet, despite all this, even in this somber chapter even in one of Moses' lowest points, where the pressures of leadership and the stress that came with the complaints from the people were too much for him to bear. Despite all that, they were not too much for God. God provided for Moses in his time of need. And God provides for us in our time of need too. We probably won't have 70 elders come and help us when we're feeling a bit stressed, 
Although I feel like sometimes that might be quite useful. No, but when we feel that the pressures of life have got the better of us, that we simply can't go on. Well, in those times, we can remember what Moses forgot in this passage. That God is in control, that he does care, and that he will provide. Those are the three things that we need to remember about God. We often feel stressed and pressured when we feel like things are out of control. Moses here despaired because he couldn't control the people. He couldn't control how he was going to get them the food that they wanted. He felt like he had lost control. But he never had it. God was the one who was in control. And that should be such a relief to us, that the Almighty and the All-Loving is the one who's in control. We don't have to look to ourselves as Moses did and make it all about my responsibility, my burden to bear. We aren't the solution to all our problems. He is. So, trust God and never feel stressed again. Go to Jesus and never suffer from anxiety or depression ever again. No, that's not what I'm saying here at all. That's not what this passage is saying. But what it is saying is that we can can trust God who is in complete control. We also need to remember that God isn't some manipulative uh, puppet master in in the sky who controls us with uh, his many strings. No, God cares deeply for each and every one of you. He knows our struggles. He knows our worries. He knows our, our anxieties. How, you might be asking. Does he really know what I'm going through? Does he actually care about my struggles? Well, yes. Yes, he absolutely does. In Jesus, we see that God has experienced firsthand what it's like to feel pressured, anxious, worried, and stressful. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in the build-up to his death on the cross, we know from the Gospel accounts that Jesus prays to his Father. He cries out to him. His sweat became like drops of blood. He knows what it is to be stressed. He knows our worries. And on the cross, as he hung there, dying in agony, God turned his face away from him. And we know that God cares for us, because on that terrible but wonderful day, God did not care for Jesus. In Jesus, we can know that God cares for us so much that he was willing to send his own son to die for us. But why did he need to die? Well, it's through Jesus' death on the cross that we see God's provision for humanity. And again, when we're really struggling, it seems that everything is going against us. In those times, we may wonder... Has he actually provided uh, for me in in my time of need? It really doesn't feel like it at the moment, perhaps. 
But this is where the rubber of your faith really hits the road. Christianity isn't a hobby or social network. Being a Christian is pinning your hopes to the cross of Christ because it's through the cross that we have salvation. And it's through salvation that we have a sure and certain hope of a future without stress, without anxiety, without depression. Through the salvation that Jesus offers, God has provided for us everything that we need. He's provided us, he's provided for us in our time of need. And we know all this to be true because God's word is true. Here in this passage, we have an incredibly honest account. One of the Bible's greatest heroes is shown here to be suicidal. And what an encouragement that is, that the mark of wanting to end it all is not the mark of someone who is a non-Christian. Even an extraordinary man like Moses, the godly prophet who spoke face to face with God, even he still fell short. But instead of looking to Moses, look to Jesus, the great prophet, who will never fail us, never fall short, and who will always provide for us in our time of need. So, from the account of this suicidal saint, remember that God is in control and not us, that he really does care for us, he knows our worries firsthand, and that he has provided for us through his son on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for the example of Moses, that he was a good, godly servant to you. And we thank you for this account here in Numbers, which is so honest and so true, where we see even Moses struggled with doubt and unsurety and with depression as well, Father. But Father God, we thank you so much for the clear encouragement that we have here that we can know that you are in control. That we can know beyond doubt that you really do care for us through your Son who lived on this earth and who died for us so that we could know you, so that we could have eternity with you if we accept that gift. Help us from what we have heard this evening to recognise these truths uh, in our own lives. Help us not just to leave here Uh, with a warm, fuzzy feeling, or with uh, anything else that we often come to church to get, Father. But help us to leave here knowing you better and knowing the incredible things that you have done for us. We ask these things for your glory. Amen.